Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. This is This Day Rocks from Vintage Rock Pod. I'm Paul Stevenson. Today is June the 9th and we start on this day in 2017 when Gene Simmons from KISS attempted to trademark the devil horns hand gesture. Yes, it's true. The thing that you do, you know, when you extend your index finger and your small finger and put your thumb out as well, well, Gene claims to have invented that. According to his trademark application, Simmons claims he was the first to use this sign at a concert in 1974 and is actually seen using it on the cover of the 1977 Kiss album Love Gun. Funny thing is, you can actually see John Lennon making that very same hand gesture, which is also the sign of love, on the cover of the Yellow Submarine single released in 1966. Now, Gene's filing was meant to be for entertainment purposes, meaning that musicians or performers would need his permission to throw those horns on stage. Thankfully, the lawsuit was pretty quickly dropped after he received widespread criticism for doing it. Silly man. Elsewhere on this day in 1972, Bruce Springsteen signed his first record contract. He joined Columbia Records and started to assemble the E Street Band from various Asbury Park ex-bandmates. On this day in 1978, the Rolling Stones released Some Girls. It was their first studio album recorded with Ronnie Wood as a full-time member of the group. The album contained the disco-infused hit Miss You. On this day in 2016, Paul Simon scored his first number one album here in the UK for 26 years when his 13th solo record, Stranger to Stranger, topped the charts. And it said on this day in 1964, Bob Dylan recorded Mr. Tambourine Man. This recording took place at the Columbia Recording Studios in New York. But for today's main show then, we're going to focus on a guitarist celebrating his birthday. Yes, born on this day in 1947 is Uriah Heep legend Mick Box. The guitarist has been with the band since their inception in the late 60s and has released more than 25 albums, racking up sales of over 40 million worldwide. And they still continue to record and tour today. Mick was born in Walthamstow, London and developed a deep passion for music at a young age. Founding Uriah Heep in 1969, his lead guitar was pivotal in making the band become one of the leading hard rock groups of the era. 
Now, I interviewed Mick way back on episode 23 of Vintage Rock Pod, and we spoke about those early days of the band and the rise of the hard rock heavy metal movement. So let's go back then to, to 1970, when Very Heavy, Very Humble came out. I mean, you were seen as the forefront of, of, of the movement, weren't you? The heavy rock movement, the heavy metal movement, the hard rock, that sort of stuff, with the likes of Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. And what was it like around that time then, when you were, when you were a part of that movement moving forward? Well, it was very, very uh, vibrant time, I have to say, very creative, vibrant time, because we were coming out of an era of um, late 60s of... of Bands being all in suits and doing dance moves and uh, little combos behind them. Um, you know, it was all very nice and polite and sweet and lovely. You know, some great songs came out of that. But then we come out as almost a rebellion with the long hair and uh, it wasn't like a Marshall stack on your shoes, <laughs> you know, which I thought was brilliant until I found out everybody else got them. So I wasn't as tall as I thought I was going to be. And it was just a creative time. You know, we just, you know, we, we, we bought, you know, Marshall stacks, for real, you know, um, with, with, with bigger, everything was bigger, better, louder. And um, it was that whole movement that was going on at the time. It, it was a fantastic time, I have to say. And, of course, with record companies, you signed for, uh, with a record company for six or seven albums, you know. So you, you grew with the label, the label grew with you, you know. So, there was a, you know, they allowed you to, to take your music wherever you wanted. There was nobody dictating anything, you know, um, which was, I think, which is why so much of that music stood the test of time and people still like hearing now you know even in the library and in their homes absolutely yeah and you talk about the movement there and at the time and what was it like within during the scene then because i spoke to uh, steve diggle from the buzzcocks and he says it was a uh, great camaraderie amongst the punks of that time the pistols and the clash and that and then there's all the mods i spoke to kenny jones and he says the mods were all a big one big happy family so what was it like um with with the hard rock movement that was coming through the rebellious time it was pretty much the same as that i have to admit a great respect between bands um but, you know, it was competitive. I'd be um, foolish not to say that, you know. We always tried to outdo each other. You know, but it was there was that camaraderie there. Yeah, you know, that we were going through the same thing together. You know, we almost united in as much as we were writing the new 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 book, if you like. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> a new book of where the music goes, you know. So, uh, and, and I think that, that, that was, it, that's, it was such a vibrant time with, with fashion. I mean, coming out of... Um, the late 60s into the 70s where all these bands were happening, you know, really there was only fashion, music and sport that people got involved in, you know. Uh, nowadays, there's, there's so many diversions. You, know, you, you can do, do more than that on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, that's what it was like, you know, and they were all intrinsically linked, you know, the footballers were looking like rock stars and, and whatever, you know, it was, it was great. It was a great time. Yeah, yeah, loved it. Brilliant. And in terms of, um, you mentioned a bit of competitive edge as well amongst the bands. I mean, one thing that stood you out amongst those others, I mean, the others had Ozzy, they had Gillen, they had, I don't know, Plant, that sort of stuff. Whereas you guys, David was brilliant frontman, but you had the harmonies as well, didn't you? Yeah, I think that was very important for Heat because we always had five strong singers. So the harmony became an important trademark for the band, as much as the Hammond organ and as much as my guitar wah-wah solos, you know. Um, it kind of, um, th- they were the things that we, we tried on. In fact, if I try and um, explain that a little better, if you took a song into the band and we applied all those things, it became heat very quickly. <laughs> 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 if you know what I mean, you know, you can have something quite off the wall, but take it into the band and put all those elements in, all those trademarks in, and suddenly it's heap again, you know. And I'll be back tomorrow with more on this day, Rock Goodness. So until then, take care.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.